Eagles Entertainment. With the 12th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it is draft week. We're just a couple of days away now from the NFL draft, depending on when you're listening. And this is going to be a fun episode because this one is just a draft mailbag where for the first time ever, I am bringing in two legends, Greg Cosell from NFL Films, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, and I've just got a bunch of fan questions for you guys. We're just going to chop it up. I have them in no specific order, really, and we're just going to talk through players ideologies, philosophies, the whole deal. So I am really, really excited for today's episode. I'm not even going to waste any more time. Before we get into the show, I want to quickly remind you guys what we've got coming this week. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mornings, we will have shows that will be geared more towards our Eagles fan crowd, where myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, will be breaking down all the Eagles draft picks from the previous day. Ben's going to be in Cleveland uh, working for NFL Network. I'll be at the NovaCare Complex in South Philly helping to host Eagles Draft Central. But we will get together and record a podcast for this channel each night of the draft. And if you're an Eagles fan, be sure to check out our coverage of the draft all weekend long over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all of our Eagles social channels, Eagles Draft Central. Myself, Ross Tucker, Amy Campbell, the Eagles insider himself, Dave Spinaro. It's going to be fun. We're going to be in person for the first time in over a year. I cannot wait to be able to interact with my co-host at an actual desk in person. It's going to be awesome. Before we get the show going also, I want to make sure that, hey, look, if you're listening to this show, trying to cram for Thursday's draft, and you think, oh, I'm just going to listen to this one or two episodes, and maybe I'll listen to the recaps next week, and then I'll unsubscribe for the summer. I'm telling you, don't do it. Because if you listen to this show, if you're into Greg Costell and Dane Brugler, I've got more where that came from. We do this kind of conversation. We have these kind of talks all the time right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. If you want to hear about how these picks are going to fit with their future NFL teams, we start that as early as next week. If you want to get into next year's draft class, we're going to start that later in the summer. But I'm also talking with evaluators, whether that's lifelong media members, whether that's a former NFL GMs, area scouts, college scouting directors. I have all those conversations all through the summer where I just kind of pick their brains, specific positions, what they look for, their core values and philosophies when they're trying to project players from college to the NFL. I have those conversations every single day or every single week, I should say, right here on the podcast. And it's one of my favorite times of year. We'll start previewing the, the next year's class as well into the summer. And then we have our weekly previews, who's rising, who's falling. We do that all through the college football season. So if you are into these discussions, make sure you say subscribe right here to the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand. I cannot wait uh, to turn the page to 2022, but we've got a big draft to discuss here this week, right here with Greg Cosell and with Dane Brewer. Let's kick things off right now with our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Well, excited to get this episode going here with Greg Cosell and Dane Brugler. And guys, uh, before we get into the questions from our listeners, you know, this is the first time, I believe, that you guys have ever done a show together. I'm happy to host uh, a little <laughs> bit of a, me- a meeting of the minds. Dane, uh, we're just a couple of days out from the draft. What As we get closer and closer to Thursday night, What's on the forefront of your mind when you think about uh, what's going to happen round one? Is there a specific player, a position group, a storyline? What's going through your mind right now as we're uh, just over 48 hours away? I always learn from Greg whenever uh, I you know, have a chance to talk to him. Uh, we have a conversation or I listen to one of his podcasts. So this, this, is, this is an honor. I'm look, really looking forward to this oh, conversation. Dang, come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> no, come no on. It's, that's the truth. Uh, all right. uh, I'll, get, I'll get this back on track now. Uh, it's got to be the quarterbacks, right? You know, yeah. specifically 
what San Francisco is going to do at three. Uh, you know, we've been saying on the podcast for a while now, we think it's going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Uh, and based on the reports this week, it, that's what it feels like. I think that Jones, you know, was the main reason the 49ers moved up to number three. And so I, where we stand right now, that's kind of what I'm sticking with. But I, I think that Trey Lance has given them a lot to think about. And, you know, understandably so but with the talent that he is. So uh, who knows these next 48 hours, how that's going to play out. Uh, but that 49ers pick, potentially a fork in the road type of pick. Because yeah. if the pick is Trey Lance, you know, then – that points to maybe Kyle Pitts at four and, you know, the draft goes in this, this direction where if the pick is Mac Jones, then Falcons, what do they do with Lance on the board? And, you know, they could also go Pitts and, you know, the top 10, the rest of the first round goes another direction. So it's really a fork in the road type of pick, which really makes for, for an interesting top 10 of the draft. So Greg, uh, this is a perfect kind of segue into what I wanted to ask you to kick things off. How excited are you to just find out where these guys go? We've been talking about all these players kind of in a vacuum, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, not knowing where they are going to end up. And now that we you know, know 48 hours from now where they all end up and we could talk about their scheme and the fit, right. uh, how excited for you, for you or, or are you for that part of the process? Well, if I could play off what Dane said, I tell you what, I'm because I've talked with Kyle Shanahan over the years. So I'm fascinated to know, and the pick will tell us how he sees the quarterback position. Because mm-hmm. don't forget, it was not that long ago that he was in the Super Bowls, the OC with the Falcons, with an offense that either was first or second most productive in NFL history with a pocket quarterback. Yeah. But now we'll find out, has his worldview of the position changed to where he believes that you need some kind of off-script ability? Because obviously Mac Jones does not give you that. So if if he drafts Mac Jones, then he clearly believes that his system can give the answers to the test. If he believes it's Trey Lance, then maybe he believes that, hey, no matter how strong his conviction is in his system – that ultimately at some point in games, and maybe it's not every game, maybe it's once a game, maybe depending on the opponent, it's five times a game, but at some point in a game, the system is beaten tactically by the defense and your quarterback needs to do something outside the structure of your game. So I'm really curious, as Dane said, three is the pivot point in this draft for me, not just who they draft, but what that says about how Kyle Shanahan sees the quarterback position. It's one of those walk the walk versus talk the talk kind of selections. It's a rare opportunity where we could see a team that's not picking one overall to say, really kind of show your cards. You know, Kyle right. Shanahan could say how he feels about the position and how he feels about offense. Well, this is the opportunity now to really show uh, how he ultimately feels uh, about that position. Uh, guys, we're going to start things off with our Apple podcast question because we know how impactful those reviews are really on a, on a daily and weekly basis here on the show. And I know sometimes it can take a little bit of a while uh, for those questions to show up. So if you did leave one of those questions and we didn't get to it uh, in this recording, I apologize. We'll try and get to it uh, on our show on Thursday night. But we're going to start things off with Philly Nose Wins, who left a five-star review. And honestly, they left an insanely over-the-top review with extremely kind words, very, very much appreciate uh, it was really kind of stuff honestly uh greg you were mentioned dane, well, that's because they mentioned. knew dane was going to be on no they they, they mentioned <laughs> you greg they mentioned dane they mentioned ben uh it was just a really really nice message and i'll say philly knows wins thank you uh really appreciate the kind words now to the question uh which is a great one considering the unique talent and the proven ability of the eagles coaches uh such as jeff stoutland's magic with the offensive line nick sirianni with receivers jonathan gannon with defensive backs does it make even more sense 
to draft and sign players with traits that are suited for their particular roles in the respective scheme, keeping in mind that some things can't be coached. What I mean is I've heard concerns about Joe Horn being grabby, and while those concerns are legitimate, I've also noticed an unusual competitiveness and juice uh, with him. After seeing his performance uh, during his pro day, I got excited about adding a defensive back with his combination of playmaking, competitiveness, and athleticism that I have not seen in this town since Brian Dawkins. The same logic applies to not necessarily needing to invest high picks you know, on the offensive line and wide receiver, considering the coaching staff's ability to get the most out of players with elite traits. So, uh, Dane, I want to come to you first with this, because I, I thought it's a really thought-provoking question. When you, uh, when you talk with scouts and when you, there's a new coaching staff brought in, what is that process like for them when they have to try and have those kind of meeting of the minds with coaches and get a sense of what they're looking for, how they're going to try and coach things up, the, the kind of the, the core values that they're looking for across the board at every single position? Yeah, you know, one of the toughest parts about doing this uh, on the outside looking in is we're evaluating players without a specific team or scheme in mind. And, and I'm sure Greg would agree how it could be a challenge to try and rank or stack players on a general board, because we know, you know, in a certain scheme that might be valued this way in a certain, another scheme they're, they're valued uh, in a different way. And with NFL scouts specifically, when a new coaching staff comes in, I, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think hopefully you have a GM and a head coach who are lockstep, you know, with their vision schematically uh, with their vision culture wise and, you know, I think that makes it a lot easier on scouts to understand, okay, this is the criteria that are important for our football team. And then it all comes down to communication. That, that's the key. Uh, coordinators, the coaches, they're communicating the non-negotiables for every each position. You know, we, you have to have this. We must have this. And, and it could be size, length. It could be a specific on-field trait. NFL scouts, they're going to vet every prospect in the country and it's really up to them. It's up to the organization to make sure the scouts are focusing in on the reasons, you know, why or why not there would be a fit in that team and that culture and understand uh, or you know, maybe include it prominently in those reports that are filed and sent to the director of scouting or, you know, whatever the chain of command is with that front office. So it all comes down to communication and making sure that the front office uh, and the coaching staff are in lockstep with what is best for that vision of the team, where they want to go, and making sure that the GM and head coach are relaying that to all of their employees, front office and coaches. And all those varying you know, degrees, that's something that we try and cover on a weekly basis here on the show, uh, Dane, with our on-the-clock segments, right? We talk about right. all the time. Every team is going to view it differently. Every situation is going to be different. Greg, you and I have these conversations all the time over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast as well, where you know we talk about how it's not just the evaluation part, but also trying to understand a, how that player transitions to the NFL because it's yeah. a different game, NFL to college, but then also how that player fits in all the different schemes, offense and defense. There are so many different scenarios uh, that these guys get projected into. And it's funny what, what Dane hit on is exactly why I don't make lists. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, and I, and I don't have to. I know a lot of people do and, you know, in what they do. And, and Dane, I believe you do as well. But, yes. you know, I don't have to do that. And I, I you know, I stay away from that. But because – when I watch tape, because I love the process, Fran, and you know this, we've talked for years, you know, I think about how a guy fits into a particular scheme. And it's particularly true on defense, I think, because there's so many players who have particular traits 
there's very few transcendent players. Uh, so it's particular traits. And I think to myself, okay, is, is this guy a 4-3 D end? Is, can he stand up and be an outside linebacker? Uh, but at the end of the day, is he a really good pass rusher? Because in the NFL, the team's likely to play in their in their sub 70% of the snaps. Um, you know, you watch a corner, you think to yourself, okay, can he play press man? How does he play press man? Is he a physical press man guy? Is he a mirror match press man guy? How does that fit particular teams? We see the NFL moving, Fran, as you know, more and more teams playing quarters, cover four. So now when you think about safeties, uh, because there's very few true post safeties in this draft, in my view, anyway, maybe yep. Dane sees it differently. I don't think there's a ton of post true post safeties. There's not a lot of Earl Thomas types in this draft, in my view. I so yeah. you think in terms of, okay, you know, can he play cover four, you know, or if he's not a post safety, does he have, is he a box guy? You know, so you start, that's the way I think about it. So it's very hard for me to compare players and make a list. Okay. Well, this guy's number one, number two, number three, because it all depends on what their traits are and their attributes and how that projects to an NFL defense. I'm just talking defense yeah. here for the moment. Yeah. And to me, I go back to a conversation I had uh, with Tony Dungy on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. This was a few years ago now, uh, just to kind of wrap this question up, uh, where I talked about making that transition from Tampa to Indianapolis. He said he sat down with Bill Polian and yeah. they talked about, hey, this is what we need at every position for the cover two, for the Tampa two. And we can say, hey, we don't need uh, you know corners in the first round that have all these traits. I just need them to be able to be really instinctive and really tough. You can find those guys on day three or you know day two uh, back in right. those days. Because you can find those guys were, in the late safeties round. Safeties yep. were more important to cover two than corners. Yep, I need a playmaking yeah. will. I need guys up front that can, that can get after the quarterback. That's where the high value is. You can you can wait a little bit on split safeties. You can fill wait a little bit on the cover two corners, uh, but you want everybody to be in lockstep, uh, as Dane mentioned earlier. Let's get to the next one here. Uh, Matt Max DZ3 left a five-star review saying, thanks everybody for all that you do. I've learned so much these past few years. Was wondering what you think of this mock draft. So we'll run through the players real quick. And I've got a couple follow-ups here for Dane and Greg. Uh, <laughs> Pat Patrick Sertan in round one, Diami Brown, Jabril Cox, the linebacker from LSU, Kelvin Joseph, the corner from Kentucky, Kendra Green from Illinois, Tommy Tremble, the tight end from Notre Dame, Ramondre Stevenson, the running back from Oklahoma, Ian Book, the quarterback from Notre Dame, and then Sedarius Hutcherson and Raymond Johnson and Malik Herring to round out the mock draft. In this mock draft, Patrick Sertan fell to number 12. However, if the Eagles really like one of the corners over the other, no shot. We let them wear that ugly star, and that's all from Max DZ number three. We've got <laughs> to move up to get Patrick Sertan to steal him from Dallas. So, Dane, uh, that's my question for you uh, coming off that. Do you feel like Dallas definitely goes corner in round one? What would need to happen for them not to take a J.C. Horn or a Patrick Sertan in your mind? I think that's the direction they want to go. Um, and if the coaches are making the pick, I think J.C. Horn's the guy. If the scouts are making the pick, it's Patrick Sertan. So I think it's going to be a really interesting scenario. Um, now, could both corners be off the board? At that time, it's possible. Uh, unlikely, but it's possible. I think you look at Carolina. They went J.C. Horn at eight. Uh, maybe Philly. We could see them trade up a few spots and go there at number nine to get Sertan ahead of Dallas. So uh, what would Dallas do in that scenario? Then, you know, they're looking at maybe offensive line, or I, I think they would consider Micah Parsons there, uh, the linebacker. Um, it, it would be interesting if, if we see both corners go off the board at that point. But I think that would probably be the only – scenario uh unless Kyle Pitts is there which I don't think you right. know, we, we think that's possible I'm not even including that but mm -hmm. it, it, the most likely scenario here is corner for Dallas and I don't think that it's a slam dunk 
we know which which corner between Horn and Sertan. We, 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 I don't think we know which way they're going just yet. I've mentioned before on the show the uh, the connections between Joe Horn and Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy coached his dad uh, both in Kansas City and in New Orleans, so uh, relationship there. Uh, well, and McCarthy Dan Quinn, and who's his best buddy, Will Muschamp, who coached Pac- or, uh, J.C. Horn at South Carolina. There's yep. it, that's that's part of the reason why I say if the coaches were making the pick, uh, I think it would be Horn. So it's just a really interesting when you consider all those relationships and connections, you connect the dots. Yep. It, it becomes an interesting pick. And we know how much that uh, impacts these selections on draft day. Uh, Greg, thoughts on Deami Brown, uh, the second round pick in that mock draft. What do you think of him and his transition to the NFL? Dane, I know you're a big fan of Deami Brown. Yeah. yeah, I actually watched him last summer from 2019 and then watched him again, obviously, this year. And he was a guy I found intriguing because I think, you know, it's funny. He didn't run as well as I thought. And, and in some ways, when I watch his tape, and I'd be curious what Dane thinks, because I wasn't sure, even though he was clearly a vertical dimension in North Carolina, I wasn't sure if he was exactly going to be that in the NFL. Um, And I think that that's a question NFL teams will have. And and I think different teams will have different answers. Um, Like, I don't think, for instance, he's not Will Fuller. He's not that kind of explosive. Um, But yet his college game was defined by his vertical ability. I thought he got better in 2020 on other kinds of routes, working the middle of the field. Um, So to me, I found him intriguing and I'm just not exactly sure what he is. I struggled with him when I say struggle, not because I didn't like him. I was just struggled with his transition day. And I'd be curious what you think. Do you think he's a vertical dimension in the NFL? I do because I think he is arguably the best double move receiver in the draft. And, okay. and I think it's more than just speed with him. He, the, the, the subtle steps, the, the little body movements that he uses. I think he's really, really skilled at those double moves and that's, and he tracks the ball really well. I mean, he'll yeah. have some, some easy drops that yeah, just really sure stand out yeah. But tracking the ball. He tracks the ball really well um, it, it, uh, down the field. Sometimes he's waiting for it uh, for the ball to get there, but he's, he's, he gets down there. So I do think you wish there were more uh, branches on the route tree with him. He just wasn't asked to uh, run a ton of routes. So there's uh, you know, there's some parts to his game that are a little unreliable and unproven. Um, but I do think that, I, he adds a vertical dimension with uh, his ability to be a double move receiver. Uh, I mean, he averaged uh, over 20 yards of catch each of the last two years, yep. 20 touchdowns the last two years total. I think, you know, he's, he's a long player. So he's over, he's almost six one. He's got uh, almost 33 inch arms. Uh, and so four, four, four speed. Um, I, I do think that he could give you, I, I agree. He's not Will Fuller, but I do think that he can give you some type of a, a vertical element to the offense. Yeah, I think when you look at his long speed, who I agree, it's not like he's Tyreek Hill, like instant speed, but I think when no. you look at his ability to eat up grass uh, and then the, the vertical route running aspect of it, I think is one of the best parts of his game. And then tracking downfield, I thought was excellent as well. Uh, he really grew on me the more I watch. Let's get to the next question here. I am underscore more left a five-star review saying, who are the best offensive line and defensive line prospects you think will be available for the Eagles at number 12? And so guys, uh, let's just operate with the idea that Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, is is definitely off the board. I think after that, you could say that pretty much anybody is in play. So, Greg, I'm going to come to you first. Let's focus with you on the defensive side. Uh, Aziz Ojolari from Georgia, Quiddy Pay from Michigan, probably two of the bigger names uh, up front. What are your thoughts on those two players and uh, how they transition to the NFL? Well, Ojolari is a player I really liked on tape. The, you know, the question is, he did come in at 249 in his pro day. 
you know, the question is, do you see him, particularly for the Eagles, because they'll be a 4-3, a base 4-3, is is he a defensive end, or do do you see him as an outside linebacker and more of those three, four, five, two fronts that teams now use? So I think that's the question you have to answer if you're the Eagles. Um, I think the game has changed where you don't necessarily need a 275 pound defensive end right. in order to play. Um, but I think that's the question they would have to answer. Then you get into um, Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay is a guy that is, he's interesting to me. I ultimately think that he, First of all, he came in shorter than I thought he would. Yep. He was under 6'3". His body type is very compact and dense. Um, you know, I think he's ultimately a defensive end. I think in sub, he'll probably move inside and be a defensive tackle and rush the quarterback inside. He's kind of methodically athletic. Like, I wouldn't – he's not a sudden athlete, but he's methodically athletic. Um, the player who's the most fascinating, who you didn't mention, Fran, and – He's got some issues that I don't know how teams will deal with them whatsoever. I, I know Dane might talk to more scouts and and, and maybe coaches than I do uh, about this. But to me, Jalen Phillips, if he was a clean player, is a top 12 pick in the draft. But he's not a clean player. So now you have to decide what he is. See, to me, for the Eagles, Jalen Phillips would be the perfect fit because he's a true 4-3 DN. He fits that Mike Zimmer mold, which is exactly what the Eagles are now. Um, I thought he was the best true 4-3 DN prospect in this draft class. Yeah, and certainly one of the wild card players uh, in this class because of those things that you mentioned there, Greg. Uh, let's go to the offensive side with you, Dane. Uh, we talk about uh, if Penny Sewell is off the board, you're looking at Rashawn Slater, the offensive lineman from Northwestern. Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman from USC. Slater has been a college tackle who some feel can make that slide inside. Vera Tucker has played both. He has played both tackle and guard. What are your thoughts on both of those guys and uh, that value if the Eagles were to go that direction at number 12? Uh, I'm a big fan of both players. I mean, Rashawn Slater, you watch him, uh, the 2019 film, because, of course, he opted out this past year. Uh, you know, you see a guy that uh, can play left tackle and played at a high level. Uh, you know, he I know he didn't have a ton of snaps against Chase Young, but when he did go up against Chase Young, uh, you know, he, he was able to shut him down. And what I love most about Slater was uh, his ability to stay balanced on the move and then stay out in front. Like he did not even give pass rushers the opportunity to set up their pass rush, uh, pass rush moves and, and, and try to break down his rhythm. Instead, he's getting on the pass rusher to break down his rhythm. And so staying out in front while also staying balanced is something that I really, really enjoyed about his film. Um, and talking to him back in October while he was training and, you know, he, he told me he was working on snapping because, you know, he, he talked to teams that had him on the board as a center. Uh, some teams look at him as a guard. So he does have some of the versatility, uh, theoretically, that I think teams are looking for where you want to move him inside. Uh, you know, he's. Uh, only played tackle at Northwestern. He was a right tackle for two years and moved to left tackle. But I, I do think when you look at his body type, you look at some of the strengths of his game, you do think you probably move inside and be a strong player. Uh, you don't want to use the Zach Martin comparisons because Zach Martin's the elite uh, of, you know, the example of doing that. But Elijah Vera Tucker, it's a similar discussion, uh, a college left tackle who uh, I think is probably best inside. And, you know, Vera Tucker's a little bit different because we have tape of him inside at guard. That's where he played in 2019 before he moved outside and replaced Austin Jackson at left tackle. Um, and I, I thought he played well at left tackle. 
but I think when you look at 32 and an eighth inch uh, arms, not ideal length, um, just a better player where you're maximizing his ability, moving him inside another balanced, agile player, stays patient, stays under control. Uh, you know, a guy that you, you see power, you see strong hands. And with both these guys, I, I think they're very smart, bright players. You see them process really quickly. So I, I think that you could argue Slater, Vera Tucker, two of the maybe high floor players. And not saying they don't have high ceilings as well, but you just have a good sense of, you know, how they're going to project to the next level. Hey, uh, Dane, do you remember, hey, Fran, just before, do you remember what Christian Wirf's arm length was? 34 even. Oh, so, so his was long. Because to me, their body types were very similar to Wirf's. Yeah. They were kind of like compact and dense, right? you know, and, and what I've been saying, and I, I've been on this rant, you know, just cause I get on these rants once in a while, you know, you still have to line up on Sunday with their 64 tackles. And at the end of the day, you know, to me, these guys are tackles. Now, I, Hey, a team might draft and move them to guard. There's no right or wrong here, but I think ultimately they're tackles. And, and I thought Vera Tucker actually played really well at tackle. Is he, is he your classic looking tackle? Um, probably not. You know, and I think everybody would love a guy who has great length and sweet feet, but there's not a ton of those guys. I don't know what your thoughts were. I love Christian Darasaw. And I, I see to me, he looked exactly what a left tackle should look like. And and I don't know how teams see him. Um, I thought that, you know, Sewell is a very, very interesting player, obviously. But I thought to me, Darasaw was right there. Yeah, and with, with Slater, it's interesting because I talked with Duke Manyweather, who, who, uh, oh, who yeah, Slater yeah. was was training with, and he he he. I asked him specifically about the length question and just what his opinion was because I, based off Slater's film, I I graded him as a tackle. I thought he could stay out there. Nothing on film that he would have to move inside. Um, and many many weather was very matter of fact saying this guy's a tackle, and you know he he I said. Agree. Yeah, I mean, he, he basically pointed out, I'm trying to find the quote in my in my notes. Uh, he said, if you understand technique and body position, you're going to stay at tackle. And he said length matters, but it helps bridge the gap. And if you but if you're good with your technique and body position, then it's it's really an overblown thing. And so I would agree with him. Now, Vera Tucker, I you know, we only have six starts with him at tackle. And so I wish we had more of a body of work. I thought he played well. Uh, you know, there were times against Oregon where you know, Thibodeau, who you know, we talking about this time next year, yeah, uh, gave him yeah. a little bit of trouble. <laughs> but, you know, if if a team played him at tackle, I would not be surprised at all. Um, I, I think that makes sense. And I agree with you on Darisaw. I, I wish he, too many times he was a 95 percent player, I thought, where you just, you know, just just finish. Just, you know, the, right. give me that last five percent. Um, but in terms of body type, in terms of traits, natural yes, ability, yeah. yeah, the body control, the balance, outstanding. So I, I'm with you on that. I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about Derisaw as being a, a top 15 pick uh, on Thursday night. All right, let's get the next one here from RJ Field 11. Left a five-star review on our Apple podcast page saying, thanks for all the great work year-round. Day two seems like a good spot uh, to match value as far as the Eagles drafting a linebacker. When looking back at defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon's past defenses, the linebackers that stick out are Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, and Darius Leonard. Can you go into what makes those guys so good and who in this class has some of those traits that could fill those roles? So, uh, RJ, I'm going to split the question up into two, and I'm going to split these up amongst uh, Greg and Dane. So, Greg. Uh, in your mind, similarities between Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, and Darius Leonard. Any resounding themes there when you look at those three players? Well, I think you have to put Barr separately. I think he's a different cat. And, mm. you know, I think Kendricks and Leonard, within a scheme, 
are similar. They're different. I think they're they're different players just because Kendricks is a smaller player. Um, he's a little sawed off, but uh, but whereas Leonard's uh, you know a bigger guy. But I think the critical part here is to be a linebacker in today's NFL. And Leonard's this guy. I remember watching Leonard, and and he was a small school kid. It was yep. South Carolina State, right? Yep. Small yep. school. Um, I remember watching him and, hey, he was one of the guys that got right. I remember saying that this guy's <laughs> going to be a three down linebacker and pretty quickly. And it turned out he was as a rookie. Um, you must be able to play with range. You must be able to close down space. You must be able to play in the in, in pass coverage, whether it's zone or man to man. Um, that's the way you play three downs in the NFL. If you can't do that, then you're I don't think you're a value pick as a linebacker. So, you know, I think there's a lot of linebackers in this draft who kind of fit that mold. Mm. But ultimately, you know, Leonard to me is is uh, Kendricks is a really good player. I, I personally would rather have Leonard, but you know, sort of Kendricks is a really good player. Barr's a little different right. because Barr in Minnesota, he he was used often at times as a pass rusher, particularly in their sub. And so he's a little different kind of player. And in fact, as Dane remembers, he was really a pass rusher coming out. No and a lot of people were surprised that, you know, Minnesota in a sense made him a linebacker and not a true down pass rusher, which he does on occasion. But a lot of people thought that was his strength coming out of UCLA. Dane, are there some guys on day two that share some of those qualities, you know, that ability to play in space? The uh, I always go kind of go back to like the, the Baltimore Ravens speed toughness instincts uh, mantra. Is there anybody that kind of fits that role for you day two? I think uh, Jamin Davis out of Kentucky. Um, there's Love a lot. There's some similarities there with Darius Leonard uh, in terms of the body yep. type. You're talking about size, length. Uh, a, a guy that can move. He's got, uh, you know, the ability to play sideline to sideline. You know, you, you can throw in the Tennessee tape and you see that that pick six that he had. And you see ah. the athleticism. So, you know, you feel comfortable with him zone dropping. Uh, you know, the first comp that came to me with Jamin Davis was Zach Cunningham. I thought they were very similar players. Uh, but I could understand why you would look at Jamin Davis and say, OK, you know, maybe he could be our Darius Leonard with uh, kind of the strengths of his game and and what he does. I, what I think I, I really you know, why I started to really believe in him as being a top 50 guy is because he, he plays fast and he, you know, the ability to quickly respond to play development, I thought was there. I didn't, I don't know that he's maybe the most instinctive player out there, but he responds quickly to play development. And I think that's what you're looking for ultimately at your linebacker position. And then with, for an Anthony Barr, I mean, and I agree with Greg was saying how he just, he's in a different box in terms of the style and kind of what, what you want him to do. Baron Browning from Ohio State is a little bit like that, where 6'3", 245, yep. if, a, if a team drafted him as a designated pass rusher, wouldn't be surprising, you know, because I, I think with a guy like Browning, the physical traits, you just want him to go. And you you wonder about maybe the mental development, how quickly he sees things, but you just want him to utilize those athletic traits and the length, 33 and a half inch arms, physically, just a very, very impressive player. Uh, with the athleticism and I, I, you know, but you plug him in at Sam, you plug him in, you know, look, let him put his hand on the ground and rush. I, I think you do different things with a Baron Browning and just really be creative with uh, you know, his, his unique set of skills. 
Uh, next one here, Giles1228 left a five-star review saying, a lot of mock drafts have the Eagles going with J.C. Horn at number 12, and analysts have described him as a press man corner only. All indications have been that new defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon is going to run more zone coverage. Why would the Eagles take a press man corner in the first if that's not the scheme that we would plan on using him in? So, uh, guys, I want to kind of present, present this to both of you. Do you agree that J.C. Horn is only a press man corner? How do you view him in potentially transitioning uh, to more of a zone-heavy scheme? Greg, uh, I'll come to you first, then Dane. Well, I don't think he's only a press man corner by any means. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I think that he, he can play zone, uh, play zone effectively. Um, I remember watching the Auburn game. Everybody remembers him playing man against Seth Williams, doing a great job. Uh, but I thought he played really well with snaps of zone. I think he can do that. I think he can do that really effectively. Um, Correct me, Greg, wasn't that, that, that first interception? Wasn't that in zone coverage? He peeled off and yes. uh, made the play against yes. a different route? Yeah, that was. Yeah. I, I thought that was a zone coverage concept. It was. It was. And yeah, I think he can absolutely play uh, zone coverage. You know, just talking about the Eagles, because obviously I'm sure a lot of people are interested. I, look, I don't know what they're going to do. None of us know what they're going to do. But if you look at the Eagles right now, you'd be hard-pressed to say who they're going to line up with op opposite Darius Slay. I mean, they need a corner. So this is unfortunately a situation where it's, it's need and, you, you know, you hope that Sertan or Horn is there at 12 uh, for the Eagles' sake, but they need a corner. I, I'm not sure they can line up and play right now with what they have. And, Dane, you like you like Horn as well, basically any scheme? Yeah, I, I like him best impressed, man, but I don't think he's scheme-specific. You know, right. And let's be honest, every defense is running some variation of both man and zone. So, you know, you're, you're looking for a guy that is not going to hurt you in either, either area, and I don't think Horn is necessarily going to hurt you in man or zone. Um, and I, I think above all, when you're looking at what the coaches are looking at, I think they come away talking about – the compete skills, you know, that that's the lasting memory when you watch Horn. It's not, well, is he only going to work in this scheme? And uh, he has the the size, the length, the athleticism, where I think that you're, you're going to feel comfortable with him uh, in whatever scheme you're running. And you look at Dallas bringing Dan Quinn in, you know, single high. Traditionally, he's running that single high defense, the cover three. And uh, I, I know that coaching staff really likes J.C. Horn. So, um, and, and Dallas hasn't specifically said exactly what scheme they're going to run. Uh, and I, they've, they've done that on purpose. Uh, you know, they have not committed to a, uh, you know, exactly what they're doing coverage wise. So I think whoever they draft that corner at 10 is going to help uh, dictate exactly what kind of coverages they're going to run. All right, let's get one more here uh, from Johnny Phillies for left a five-star review. Actually just said uh, that how much they love the show. Didn't even leave a question, but Johnny Phillies, uh, we got your, we got your comment. Thanks so much for leaving the five-star review. Uh, let's go to some Twitter questions here. Laser fours on Twitter uh, asks, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this draft? Where is it deepest? Uh, we'll start. Uh, we'll go negative first. Dane, where is this draft uh, <laughs> weakest overall? When you look at just the, the shallower groups in this class. Uh, it's got to be defensive tackle, right? Uh, it, it's, you know, we might not have a defensive tackle go first round, which hasn't happened in a long time. Um, and we might not have uh, more than two defensive tackles in the top, you know, 70 picks. That's possible. Uh, maybe not more than three in the top 75. Uh, it, so it's just a really tough group. And, and even the guys that are really talented at the top, there are some question marks. Christian Barbour, I know some teams have questions just about, you know, the, the makeup, the background, stuff like that. Um, hard to really know ultimately where that's going to drop him on draft day. Uh, Levi Onzerike from Washington, uh, who I, I think is a really natural three technique, violent, relentless player. 
there's some medical things with him. He was an opt out. So, you know, there's some questions about where Onzerike is going to end up. I think, you know, probably better chance he's in round two than round one. And then after that, there's some talented players in this draft, yep, no but question. you know, a, a guys that you're really going to get excited about as uh, you know, high volume starters or, or high volume snaps, guys that could come in and, and really play a big part. Um, you know, both the USC defensive tackles, uh, Milton Williams for Louisiana Tech's a really interesting guy because he's, uh, you know, uh, maybe an undersized three, or is he an edge, a base end? Uh, some differing opinions around the league on Milton Williams. Uh, and then you got your guys that are, you know, really uh, productive run defenders. But you know, are, what do they give you as as pass rushers? Guys like Tommy Togiai at Ohio State and uh, Ali McNeil at a NC State. So it, it's not, you know, just a completely talent void position. But in terms of overall depth and, you know, just what you're looking for, it, it, it's there's going to be some teams that are not going to be able to answer their defensive tackle questions through the draft this year. It's always one of those things when you talk about positions that are shallow in a draft. It's not necessarily a knock on the guys that are in the class. It's just that who are the guys that aren't in it? And that's right. where you know the, the talent level just kind of falls off after a certain point. Uh, Greg, on the opposite side of the coin, uh, what what positions do you feel are strongest? What positions when you're looking around, you're like, man, like there are a lot of really good players uh, at this, this position. I would say wide receiver and offensive tackle. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good offensive tackle prospects, and it comes back to the discussion we had before. I view these guys as offensive tackles, right? Just because of the nature of the NFL game. The NFL game has changed to the point where there's more and more RPOs. There's more quick game. There's more five step drop. So this is not 15, 20 years ago where a tackle will be asked to block a big-time edge rusher for three, three-plus seconds on an island. The, the NFL game has changed. Um, so to me, a lot of these guys, whether it's Jackson Carmen from Clemson, players like that, and there's a bunch of guys like that, um, I think these guys in today's NFL – our offensive tackles. And I bet the younger coaches see it that way. I'm sure a lot of old school coaches think back to the old days when, you know, these guys were asked to pass protect for longer periods of time. Um, I also think, and this is my personal opinion, I've been felt this for a number of years now, that the way the game is played now defensively, I don't think there's any meaningful delineation between right tackle and left tackle. I think that's anachronistic and archaic. Um, so, So I think offensive tackle is a really strong position. And I think wide receiver is really strong. Now, wide receiver in many ways is one of those positions, and I think Dane would agree, you're not going to find, you know, 10 transcendent guys that you go, oh, my God, they're great. You know, but there's a lot of really good receivers, and receivers play in the NFL, and receivers get drafted. I mean, over the last four years, more receivers have been drafted than any other position. So, you know, you start looking at guys – and I'm trying to think of the names. I mean, I have a list just like Dane does. I'm trying to think of the names of guys. You know, you start to think um, like the Cornell Powells, you know, yeah. guys the Dak, like the that. The Dax Milne, you know, there's plenty of yeah, these guys yeah. that are in the middle rounds. So there's Fitz, Fitzpatrick. Yep. You know, a lot of these guys, to me, they're going to play in the league. Are they going to be big-time number ones? Of course not. Austin Watkins, I think, is a very intriguing guy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of those kinds of players, and – you know, I start to think of the Zach Pascals of the world. Zach Pascal has been in the league. I think, Dane, he came out of James Madison, I believe. He was, uh, no, he was. Um, the, the, um, oh, it's one of those. I could be no, wrong. He was Old Dominion. He was Old Dominion. Old Dominion. Old Dominion. Yes, yes, yes. Right, Old Dominion. Right, the Virginia right. area. Yeah. Right, but I mean, he's been in the league three years. He's caught, I think, over 40 balls all three years, or certainly the last two. You know, no one's going to say, wow, Zach Pascal, he's, he's great. But I mean, guys like that play. 
yeah. and they're productive within the context of an offense. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of receivers like that. They become very specific to team and scheme. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm always fascinated by those kinds of guys, as I know you are a fan because we watch yeah. a ton of receivers. Yes. I, I watch a, a lot of receivers every yeah. single year. There's too many receivers every single year. There are uh, <laughs> way too many, <laughs> way, too, way too many. I know. I think I've watched about 45 and I feel like I've still missed 10 of them. There's, there's always four. Yeah. There's 45 yeah. more where that came from. I know. Uh, I know. Let's go to the, uh, the next question here from a friend of the podcast, uh, Chris McPherson, C-Mac uh, checking in with a question. Are there positions where you think traits are more important and others where college production should be weighed more heavily. Uh, Dane, I'll come to you first, then Greg. At the end of the day, uh, traits over production. That's the scouting motto, right? So, But I do think that on defense, um, pass rushers, defensive backs, those are two positions where I think both matter. And it, I don't want to say one over the other, just they both are relevant, very relevant to projecting success in the NFL. Um, generally speaking, pass rushers who don't put pressure on the quarterback in college – usually don't figure it out in the NFL and it's the same. And I didn't say sacks, but just put pressure. So, you know, I'm looking out for you, Jason Oway. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. It, not, not just the sacks and sacks are important, but putting pressure on the quarterback and affecting what the quarterback is doing. That's, you know, the most important thing that you're looking for at the pass rush position. And really the same thing with defensive backs. If they don't get their hands on the football in college, it's tough to coach that. And, and, and that's my struggle with a player like Tyson Campbell at Georgia. All the physical traits you could desire, size, length, speed. But when the ball is in the air, he struggles to locate and make plays. And ideally, uh, you know, you want to draft corners who, you know, just they average close to one pass breakup per game in college. Campbell, only 11 pass breakups in 33 games. So not the ratio that you want. And when you watch his film, tell you, SEC quarterbacks, not afraid to throw at him. So it's something that opposing coaches saw as well that he just he has a tough time getting his head turned, uh, using that length to his advantage to uh, you know obstruct passing lanes. I, I will say this with Campbell, though. Uh, why I would dra- still draft him in the second round is generally he stays in phase. So yeah. it's not like he's all over the place and he's sloppy. It, you know That's not the reason why he's not making plays. He's in position. He just needs to be a better finisher. And so I think pass rusher and defensive back, uh, those are two positions where I really pay attention to the traits and just how productive they were at the college level. Greg, is there a position for you one way or the other where you're thinking uh, traits over production or vice versa? I would say, I think linebacker is an interesting position because a lot of college linebackers make a ton of tackles. And as Dane knows, you got to watch the tape to see how that occurs because production stuffers in there. Correct. Production to me for a, for a, a linebacker in college is a meaningless number because the college game is totally different with the spreads, the nature of the field because of the hash marks. So to me, college linebackers, the stat sheet doesn't matter at all. You have to see the player on tape. I would also say defensive tackle because you can, what I've learned over the years, this is true in the NFL too. You can watch it. You could look at a defensive tackle stat sheet and he can make one tackle. And then you watch the game and, and you go, oh, my God, he's dominating the game. And, you know, he ends up with one official tackle because dominating a game at the D tackle position can often mean that you're creating opportunities for others. So I would say minimal stat production for a defensive tackle can mean absolutely nothing. And 
large tackle production for a linebacker can mean absolutely nothing. You need to see how they play, how they're deployed. Aleem McNeil is a good example, by the way. I felt Aleem McNeil essentially was a zero technique nose at North Carolina State. I personally, after watching his tape, felt that this guy is a gap player. I think he's a one gap player. Um, He's not exactly Grady Jarrett, but I thought he you could say that he could be like Grady Jarrett in the NFL. So I think you've got to watch his tape. He doesn't he didn't make a ton of tackles. But I think that you when you watch him, you come away saying, you know what? This guy's got really quick feet, pretty quick hands. He's active. This guy's a one gap penetrator. That's not the way he was used in college. But you have to watch the tape to see that. At the end of the day, it's a projection business, and it's not necessarily about what a guy did in college. You can go through whatever award you want, whatever stat leader you want. If it's Heisman trophies and player of the years, All-Americans, those lists are littered with players that did not turn into good NFL players. It's about what you can be uh, in the future for your NFL team. Looking for a unique experience for the young Eagles fan in your life? Eagles Virtual Youth Football and Cheerleading Clinics are now being offered on May 16th. Register today at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash clinics. Let's buzz through. We got a bunch that are position specific. So I'll try and uh, speak through the ones that we haven't necessarily uh, hit on here. Dane, uh, who's a surprise first round pick in this draft? That comes from Chris B. Uh, you know, it's tough because I feel like we've covered so many guys that I can't keep track of who would be a surprise and you <laughs> <I> know, know. <laughs> who wouldn't. Uh, like, you know, like Jamin Davis I, right. or Joe Tryon. Like, I don't know that those guys would necessarily be surprises at this point. Um, we've talked about them so much. I, I think maybe Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest. Uh, he's a player that I think people know about, but it would might surprise some people if he goes uh, ends up going Thursday night. Um, I, I think that there's just knowing how some teams in the back half of round one feel about him. I think there's a, a possibility that happens. And then I'll say, uh, you know, one of the two Georgia corners uh, will sneak in there, whether it's Campbell or Eric Stokes. I, I think that, you know, when you're just talking about the traits at the position, those guys, they, they have it, size, length, speed. Uh, you feel like they, they've yet to play their best football. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those two Georgia corners uh, were able to sneak into that, that late first, you know, the Packers or one of those other teams. Uh, Jim Beneshek checked in on Twitter saying, Greg, can you explain why some analysts separate arm strength to both velocity and zip on the ball and also the ability to throw the ball far? How are they not the same? Isn't range a direct function of velocity? How can you throw it hard but not far? I get throwing it far but not hard, just not the reverse. So uh, if you could follow me there uh, on that question, uh, Greg, what are are your thoughts on that one? You have to define what arm strength is. There are certain throws that go down the field that are not arm strength throws. A fade is not an arm strength throw. A normal post is not an arm strength throw. Um, You can make the argument that you throw a deep dig, that you have to drive you know, at 22, 25 yards, a deep dig between defenders, that's an arm strength throw. I remember having this conversation with Joe Flacco. That is an arm strength throw, but the distance is shorter than a fade or a post. So distance does not automatically, Fran, mean arm strength. I mean, obviously, if a guy is going to throw the ball 65 yards in the air, hey, not everybody's going to do that. But there's very few of those throws in an NFL game where you literally throw it 60 plus yards in the air. Um, Most throws are within some kind of timing. And 
you know, as I said, a fade is not a fade is actually a spot throw. I remember talking to Ron Jaworski for years and Jaws would tell me that I could throw a fade blindfolded because you're throwing it to a spot, you know? So, you know, um, a post you're, you're kind of throwing to a spot as well, but a deep dig when you're throwing let's say through defenders underneath coverage and before a safety can react to it, that ball, you've got to drive. You've really got to throw that with velocity and, Arm strain throws often come where you're just sitting on your back foot in the pocket where you can't really stride. That's where often you see what arm strength is when a quarterback can't really step into a throw. And you get a lot of those throws in the NFL because of the pass rush, because there's more bodies around you in the NFL than there, there is in college football. K Bra 007 checking in and saying, how early is too early for a running back Kenny Gainwell from Memphis? Is he a good third round fit uh, for the team? I'm assuming for the Eagles, but just in, in general, uh, Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, thoughts on where Kenny Gainwell goes off the board and, and where do you feel he lands in this running back pecking order? Uh, and real quick, just to follow up on, on what Greg said, sure. I, I think that uh, the way he's explained to me, the way I was taught is if uh, say you have a really powerful car you wouldn't be talking about how far it can go. You'd be talking about how quickly it gets there. And so the same is true with, you know, power arms, a quarterback. It's not just how far you're talking about how quickly it gets there. That, that's what we, okay. when you talk about power uh, right. and velocity. Um, and so, okay. With Kenny, Kenny Gainwell, um, arguably the best pass catcher in this draft. Right. I mean, I think he's, I would agree. Uh, with the way he was deployed, uh, you know, line him up out, out wide, motion him uh, out of the backfield. You just do so many different things uh, with Gainwell. Uh, it, it's he's different because, you know, talking about a high school quarterback who has one year of, of tape that we can look at being a red shirt his first year and then opting out this past year. We just have that 2019 film. But I tell you what, it was a really good, uh, you know, film to have uh, with Kenny Gainwell. He, he's a fun player to watch. He's elusive. I don't know that he has necessarily the body type where you're going going to give him 12 carries a game. I, I just I'm not sure about uh, his role as a rusher, but as a guy that you're going to just find ways to get him the ball uh, as a pass catcher, as uh, it, it just whether it's handoffs or, or whatever, you're just going to get him the ball. He's a playmaker, um, and I think he's a quick decision maker. I think he's very natural with the ball in his hands. Very quick footwork. Um, he marries his feet with his eyes really well, so he can make those controlled cuts. Uh, I, Greg, what do you think about Gainwell? I love Gainwell. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I do think he could be a 12 to 14 carry uh, back, uh, you know, game back. Um, I think, look, he's not Kamara. Kamara's special. He's just so athletically explosive. He's different. Um but think of the way the Packers started to use Aaron Jones, in which the way I think they'll continue to use him, because obviously they drafted Corey Dillon in the second round. They didn't draft Corey Dillon in the second round to sit on the bench. So I think the way teams are starting to see players like that is maybe they end up with 160, 170 carries. And now we have a 17 game schedule. So that might be 10 carries a game. But they're so effective in the pass game. I thought I was blown away. I watched his tape last summer and I was blown away by how good a receiver this guy was running as you know Dane wide receiver routes we're not talking about you know hitches and check downs and I mean he ran wide receiver routes he was catching back shoulder fades with phenomenal body control and hands I think he is the best receiving back in this draft and I'm curious to see where he goes because I think he could be you know 12 carries a game and ideally you know six or seven pass targets a game yeah if he's still on the board at like say pick 75 80 I think that's too late you know so I, I. I, I I agree yeah I, I think that somewhere in that 
late second, early third is where uh, the latest he should come off the board. Cause I agree with a, a lot of what you said. He, he could just be, he could be a playmaker and yep. this, this running back class is, you know, it, it, I don't know that it's as deep as you, as you want. Uh, obviously there's talent, but uh, Gainwell in, in on day two, I, I think would be a, a target. If you're looking for a running back that could be creative with the ball in his hands. Uh, I, I think he's, he's a fun player. Sean Wolford left, uh, hit us up on Twitter saying, how do you compare this year's wide receiver class to last year's? So, Dane, uh, I'll come to you with that one. Uh, how do you compare uh, the 2021 class to the 2020 group? Please, yeah, I would have no way to answer that. I know. That's why, that's why I'm just going to Dane on Thanks, that Fran. one. <laughs> it's, it's tough, right? Because, you know, last year we set a record for wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds. Uh, you know, obviously we saw a lot of receivers come off the board. Uh, starting with that, that you know, quote unquote, big three with uh, with Ruggs, Judy, and, and C.D. Lamb, and, and then we saw a couple others come off the board. Justin Jefferson, um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's really tough when you compare them because this year, I, is it recency bias or is it, is it really better? Because it, it, right. it feels like it's a better class. Uh, but you know, you look at last year's second round, you got you know T. Higgins in there and Denzel Mims, and so some pretty you know, quality receivers who should be starters this year. Um, I don't know that uh, this year on day two, I think it's debatable about uh, which, which is better. So first round, I'm giving the edge to this year's class. Second day, I think it's debatable about which, uh, you know, last year's class or this year's class, which day two is going to produce the better wide receivers. And then on day three, I think it's this year. I, I mean, Greg ran through a couple of those names uh, on, on day three that I think have a chance to be productive players. Uh, you know, Josh Palmer out of Tennessee oh, is him. a guy yeah. who you know, he maybe he sneaks in the, into the top 100, but probably better chance he's a fourth round pick and you know, there's just, you know, I, I think there's there's reasons and there's excuses. And I think the lack of production has more to do with the Tennessee offense, the quarterback situation more so than anything in Josh Palmer's control. So just a, a really good player. And I mean, we, we could spend the whole episode talking about right. day three receivers in this class. Hey, Fran, just one quick point. I think a lot of receivers will be a function of the changing nature of NFL offense. Yep. And, and I would almost call it the Tyree kill factor. There's a lot of small receivers who, you know, years ago we would automatically say, oh, they're slot guys. But I think the way the NFL game is gone, when you start thinking of the Elijah Moores, the, the Rondell Moores, the Amari Rogers, players like that, which I think will be team and scheme specific. But in today's NFL, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, I think, falls into that category. Jalen Darden. Uh, you know, right, yeah, Jalen Darden, another guy who, yep. you know. I think that if teams start to feel that, hey, these guys are, you know, multi-positional players, jet sweeps, orbit reverses, put them in the backfield once in a while, you know, use them in multiple ways, motion guys, movement guys, there's more motion in the NFL now than there has been. You know, I think that we'll find out how they're valued. Uh, you know, Kadarius Tony fits into that category as well. You know, so I, I think that traditionally these guys would be seen as small and and Oh, they're just slot guys. But I think the NFL game has changed. So another question here at TD Wayne 13 on Twitter. If Terrace Marshall, the LSU receiver, is there at 37, do you think he's the pick? And if you don't think he falls to 37, <laughs> what are the chances a trade up to get him happens in your opinion? So obviously, look, we have no idea what the Eagles <laughs> are going to do, but we can offer some insight into the player. Right. So, Greg, uh, start us off. Give us your thoughts on Terrace Marshall, what you saw from him on film. I really like Terrace Marshall. I watched him last summer and then I watched him this year and I really like his game. I mean, he's long, he's fluid. 
he's an easy mover, but there's some suddenness to him. I thought that he could present as a vertical dimension. He was very good run after catch, taking short passes to the house. Um, I think he can be a factor at all three levels of the defense. He can line up anywhere outside in the slot. He was used as a movement receiver at times. Um, I think as he continues to progress, you know, without knowing the kid and all those other things that go into it, I think he has the traits to become a volume wide receiver one. I don't think that would happen year one, uh, but I think he can become that guy. Uh, Dane, what's the latest buzz? We're about 48 hours away from the draft. What's the, uh, the latest buzz on Terrace Marshall? Where do you think he ends up? Well, it's tough because this is where, you know, you get the information that, okay, his knee was flagged. Um, and, you know, what does that mean for where he's going to be, where he's ultimately going to be drafted? Uh, but talking to scouts throughout the process, they mentioned how it really uh, it did not sit well with them that he opted out the week of the Alabama game. Yep. You know, like they're, they're, that, that goes into their thinking. And so I agree with a, a lot of what Greg said. I like him as a player. Um, and he's one of the, you know, we don't have a lot of size receivers in this class at the top. Yep. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, guys that, it, I, and, well, I don't know that they're undersized in today's NFL, but, you know, you, you generally want bigger guys. Marshall is that guy. He's a large frame target and he can play across the formation. Um, but when you factor in the knee, I don't know how far that's going to drop him. I would say that he would be on the board there in the early second round. And I'm not sure that the Eagles will take him at that point, because I think you're the, the, the knee is something that's going to affect them to what extent. I, it's just, it's really hard to answer that right now. Big dogs, 13, 18 on Twitter. Who are the best fits as wide zone offensive linemen in this draft? And who is one prospect you think the NFL is higher or lower on uh, than the media slash Twitter? Greg, I'll go to you on the, on the outside zone offensive lineman. Who's a guy that uh, you feel <laughs> best fits uh, outside zone schemes in the NFL? You can go interior guys. You know, oh, tackle. Uh, is there one name? Because uh, I'll tell you what, there's one guy that I know you and I both like that really pops off when I, when I talk about it. That's the, uh, the Stanford center, Drew Dahlman. Oh, I love Drew Dahlman. I mean, again, he's under 300 pounds, so you have to be okay with that. But as far as movement ability, as far as being a zone blocker, um, I think he's really, really good. You know, like, for instance, I think overall someone like Creed Humphrey is a better prospect. Yeah. But I think Creed Humphrey is a little bit of sort of a confined space center. Dahlman is a much more athletic mover than Creed Humphrey at center. Um, but, no, I really like Drew Dahlman. I'm trying to – I'm looking at my list of offensive linemen that I've watched – and I'm trying to think, um, you know, uh, it's like, you know, like Brady, like was Brady Christensen and is he a guy that kind of fits that profile based on the way that they played, uh, down at BYU, um, trying to think of some other guys that kind of fit. That. I mean, certainly right. Kendrick green, uh, from Illinois. Is yeah, Kendrick guy green, like I really player. like Kendrick green as a prospect, but, yeah. um, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the guards. Tell me out here, Dane, who are the guards who you would put in that category? Mm. That's tough. Cause yeah, there's, um, I, maybe like a like a Robert Hainsey if you move him inside. Yeah, and I uh, think he would move inside. I mean, yeah, he right. is one of those guys that I think you would move inside. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Hainsey, I think, is one guy I think you would throw in. Even like a James Hudson uh, from Cincinnati, I think he would be an interesting fit there. Uh, there are yeah. a handful there for sure. Uh, Dane, who's a guy for the second part of that question? Who's a guy that you feel uh, the NFL might be higher or lower on than uh, what the media uh, has at this point? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think Deami Brown, who we talked about, I, I know that some teams view him uh, very highly. Um, so I, I think these wide receivers, there's a few of Elijah Moore. Uh, mm. He's got first round grades out there. So I don't think, it, you know, he, he's he's a guy that I know uh, some teams are higher on him than than those of us on the outside. 
Um, I, Kellen Mond, A&M, uh, there's some teams that are pretty high on him compared to, you know, I know people like myself who don't view him as a, a day one or day two player. Um, so I know, you know, that, that, that's something where, you know, the quarterback desperation is real and something that will probably manifest itself, uh, on day two of the draft. When we see some of these guys come off the board, um, try to think here, who else would fit? Yeah. Dane, what is your, I don't know if you've spoken to people about him. Well, what is, uh, do people think about Patrick Johnson from Tulane? He's interesting because he's a little undersized, uh, you know, cause he, he, he was really productive. Uh, I really and, liked his tape. Yeah, at 6'2", 240. Yeah. So it's, you know, is he going to be a 3-4 only guy? Is he, but I think as a sub-package rusher, yeah, I, I think, yeah, he, he is a draftable player. Oh, without um, question. Well, I put, I, I, honestly, I put him in that same bucket as the the Shaka Tonys, the Quincy Rochers, yeah. the uh, the Malcolm Kuntzes, like just a, a sawed off rusher. But he he knows how to win and he plays with a high motor. He's been productive. He's a he's an interesting player. Yes. Coons is a good one to throw in there too as a player that I think teams are higher on than uh than a lot of people. Uh, and a big part of that is uh just not being at the senior bowl because he was hurt, yeah. not being able to work out at his pro day. That that goes into it. Um, you know, Pete Werner. I know there, there are some that have uh top 40 grades on Pete Werner. It would not be a surprise. He's a good player. He's a good he, player. He, he is. I don't know. He doesn't have a huge ceiling, but he's just he's he's dependable. You know what you're getting with Pete Werner. Yeah, he, he might he might be a true four-down player where he's just he's just yeah, he's just you can leave him on the field in any situation. Yeah, he's just not sudden and explosive, but he's a really right. good player. Right. I mean, but he, even though he's, I agree with you, he's not very sudden or explosive, but he can still blitz, you know, cause he is a, a good athlete. Uh, you can see him drop in space. You can see him, yeah. uh, you know, make plays in the flat. So he, he's a really interesting player that I think is going to fit a lot of schemes. I and I, I would not be surprised at all if, uh, you know, he's off the board pretty quickly in, in round two, which is, I think a little higher than a lot of people uh, see him going. Hey, Fran, can I ask a question of, of Dane? Uh, yeah, you can sneak one in here. All right, Dane. Give me your thoughts on Nick Bolden, because I'll tell you, in my oh, opinion, love the love the player. OK, love yeah. his tape. I do not believe he's a sub linebacker in the NFL. That's, and I think yeah. and I think that that's a, a, a problem. Not for I mean, he is what he is. I don't think there's a mystery to what Nick Bolton is. Right. You know, but I think if if you're not a sub player, I think the value drops. I can't see him matching up to tight ends man to man. I mean, he's a sawed off kid, you know, either. That's yeah. what he is. And, it, and I agree. And it's not just physically. I, you just don't see the same anticipation yeah. uh, versus coverage that he shows versus the run. Um, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, he's such an easy player to like because oh, a hammer looking for a nail, you know, yeah. it, the way he can mirror at the line of scrimmage, the toughness, uh, how relentless he plays. But I agree. And that's the difference between him and, say, you know, a Devin Bush uh, when he's coming out of Michigan um, or some of these other smaller linebackers. I mean, you you felt better about them as any down players. And with Bolton, I, I know like in my the final line of my report on him, I wrote he must improve his consistency and coverage if he's going to uh, yeah. you know be a, a three down player. Um, you, you love the speed. You love the instincts. But. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you. It, it makes for a, a little bit of a tough evaluation. And, and that's where that's a great example of a player where he's not hard to scout. He's not hard to, to like as a player. Well, there's no mystery to what he is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. projecting him forward is a little tough because I think he can get better. But I, it's hard to see him being, uh, a, you know, a true three down player at the next level. 
Well, I mean, this, I, this might, yeah, this might be crazy to you. I don't know, but I, I personally, I would, I would take Chaz Surratt before I would draft Nick Bolt. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can understand that. Uh, when you're talking about, if you're looking for a player that's going to be on the field in any situation, any down, uh, yeah, I, it's, I would understand where you, where you would, uh, you know, come to that conclusion. Uh, I am a big uh, Nick Bolton fan, and it's actually a perfect segue because uh, in our discussion about Nick Bolton, we now go to a question from Taylor Bolton uh, on Twitter who has a question <laughs> about uh, Quinn Miners and his draft stock significantly rose after the senior bowl because he was so dominant, but we know that the interior defensive line class is the weakest maybe it's ever been. Does this mean that his senior bowl is less impressive of a barometer than years where other guys have been dominant? Dane, uh, I feel like uh, this is a good question for you. Uh, what do you feel about that topic? Yeah, I mean, he brings up a fair point. Uh, it, this is not a great defensive tackle class. It was not a great defensive tackle class uh, at the Senior Bowl specifically. Um, and Quinn Miners did dominate. But, you know, he he played really well against the best defensive tackles no that question. were there. That would Diggie be Zua, yep. You know, and I, I believe it was on uh, Journey to the Draft. Uh, Diggy Zua told you that uh, Quinn Miners was the best player uh, yep. that he faced at the Senior Bowl. So, um, Miners is just fascinating because, you know, you're talking about a guy that, the film was good. I wouldn't call it amazing, um, but it was pretty good. He, he had six seventh round grades, goes to the senior bowl and turns into a top 60, top 70 player in the draft. And it's just, we've never really seen anything like it. It's really fascinating. Uh, the, the journey that he's taken to get to this point. And he makes for a, an interesting evaluation. How much stock do you put in a senior bowl? Um, especially for a guy that's a D three player when, you know, you, you can't watch D three tape and get the same type of competition. So um, I, I think that's a, it's a relevant point that the, the, the question brings up, but he was just so dominant at that during that week of practice that I don't think I would hesitate to draft Quinn Miners uh, somewhere in the top two rounds and say, okay, you're our starting center for the, for the foreseeable future. Greg Richards on Twitter. What do you think about Aziz Ojolari as a possible Eagles fit? I know that he's thought of as more of a 3-4 guy, but could Ojolari play the Anthony Barr role on base downs and then play defensive end in nickel and dime? Greg, uh, what are your thoughts on Ojolari? We talked about him a little bit, and we talked about Anthony Barr a little bit. Uh, do you feel like he could be viewed as that style of player in this defense? I do. I mean, he's a player I really liked on tape, really yep. liked this kid. I mean, he certainly he played both with his uh, – uh, in a two-point stance and with his hand in, in the ground in a three-point stance. Um, yeah, I think he could do that for sure. You know, that Anthony Barr role is very a very interesting role in the in that Minnesota-style offense, and I think Ocelari could do that. And I, I think he's just such a good pass rusher. I mean, he has tremendous balance, tremendous body control. Um, I, I just really like the player. I think he could absolutely do that. And, and Greg, uh, real quick, uh, what I was really impressed with with Audrey too is, is the length. I mean, 34 oh. and a half inch arms, like yep. it six, like he's basically the same size as Micah Parsons. So, like, you know, he yeah. has linebacker size, but when no you question. have you know 34 and a half inch arms, it's almost kind of like the ideal body type because he's a little shorter, so he can play with leverage, he can dip and rip, he can yep. uh, you know, he being closer to the ground almost works in his favor, and that that's part of what makes Audrey such a, a fascinating player. I would agree. Um, you know, if you talk to offensive linemen, they'll tell you a lot of times that what makes it really difficult with pass rushers is when their arms are so long, because then they win the leverage game. They get their arms into you before you can react. So I, I think he can be that guy. In fact, 
you know, again, then we get caught up in where guys should be drafted. And Dane, you know me, I don't get into that. Right, right. I know you do more of that. And, and you know, you talk that you have more conversations with people about that, you know. But to me, like, let's say Ojolari is your 18th best player on your board. I'm just throwing that out, which I don't think would be unreasonable. Would, would you he, say? He's 16 for me, actually. So there you yeah, go. It's close. Yeah. So, so if the Eagles drafted him at 12, I wouldn't view that as, oh, my God, they reached for this guy. Right. You know, I think he's really a good prospect. But Dane, Dane, the the question I've got for you, you talked about this earlier with Terrace Marshall. Uh, There have been reports that there's uh, medical questions with Aziz Ojolari. I know he had that torn ACL late in his career in high school uh, that cost him for a large chunk of his true freshman season. Uh, Peter King uh, left him out of his round one mock draft for that reason. Uh, What is the latest that you've heard on Aziz Ojolari? Yeah, and, and it's really, uh, you know, unfortunate. But we just don't know enough. Um, know. Yeah. It, it, it's something that I, I texted uh, you know, a buddy with the team, and he told me that if you have a first-round grade on him, it's not enough of a scare, at least in their that Got team's it. doctor's opinion. It's not enough of a scare to take him out of the first round. Now, if you're on the fence about him as a player, then that might, you know, have you right. backing off. But he, he, he seemed to, by the way he was talking about it, he seemed to say it was more minor than major, which is good news. Um, but I mean, I tell you what, I mean, he, you wouldn't know it by watching his film. Um, no it's just, right. Yeah. It's just one of those things that, uh, yeah. Cause you're right. He, he had the torn right ACL, his uh, late in his senior year, uh, really unfortunate. Then he redshirted at Georgia. So hopefully it's not something that affects him long-term. Uh, a couple more guys. You've been awesome with your time. I want to make sure we get as many of these as we can. George Smith on Twitter. If the Eagles go wide receiver in round one, which corner would most likely still be there in round two? And who fits the Eagles best considering the scheme that they might run on defense? So, Dane, uh, who are some early day two corners that in your mind best fit a zone scheme in the NFL? I'm looking at Asante Samuel here. Yep. I think that would be uh, a great fit. Uh, maybe not the size that you want, 5'10", 180. But he is a guy that I think is he really natural in zone. You know, let him, uh, you know, look through uh, the receiver to the quarterback. Let him, you know, the way his mind works, similar to his dad, uh, you know, the way he can he play twitchy, uh, his FBI, his football intelligence, uh, you know, just very clean with his footwork. And the way he breaks things down, processes things quickly, uh, I, I think that really helps him. So, I mean, there, he might be gone. He might be going right. the late first round. But if he's there in the early second, I, I really like that fit. Greg, is there a guy for you that's the yeah, I think Beth, Beth fits the zone scheme? Paulson and Debo, I think, is, good is a one. good zone. I think he's a really good zone corner. I think he's a way better zone corner than man corner. So I, I, I would mention that name. Justin Howard, or Justin Howard from Twitter. So what's your best guess is what the Eagles do in the first round, all things considered. Uh, do they trade up or down? Who do they take? Uh, look, we don't know uh, what they're going to do, but I will say this. Dane, I know you're doing a final mock draft, I believe, for The Athletic. Not <laughs> yeah. sure when it's going to be out. Uh, would you be willing to uh, shed a little light on what you think the Eagles are going to do uh, in your final mock draft article? I'm debating, you know, it's hard, so hard to do these final mock drafts without including trades because we know there's going to be trades. It's going to happen. So do you try to have fun with it? And I, part of me wants to do a trade up to nine where they jump the Cowboys and take one of those corners, uh, especially if a corner goes at eight, uh, because then, you know, if, if no corners go off the board in the first nine picks and you're Philly, you can maybe just stay put at 12 and one of those corners is going to be there. One goes 10, then one goes 12. But if one goes, goes at eight 
then you start to, okay, if Dallas takes one at, at 10, we're going to be left without a corner. So going up to nine, not only do you get that second corner, but it stops your division rival from getting a position that they, they really, really need and something they're targeting at that point. So uh, I'm debating doing that. Um, I do think that, and we've talked about this, how moving back really expands their options with what they could do. Uh, we know, you know, Howie Roseman and how we would love to, uh, you know, get better in the trenches in every single draft. So could we see a pass rusher there? Maybe the first pass rusher off the board. Could it be Quiddy Pay? Uh, you know, could we see him go with an offensive lineman? I, I don't think you could just completely rule that out. And then the other thing is wide receiver. Uh, if, you know, both wide or both Alabama receivers are still on the board at 12, uh, you know, Jalen Rager last year, do you, could you really go wide receiver back-to-back first rounds? I don't know if that this team would do that or they want to do that. But at a certain point, uh, you know, almost too good to pass up. Um, so I'm, I'm still, I've not made a decision yet which way I'm going. Um, I, I, I think corner, I think is maybe the preference of what they'd like to do. They just, they might have to trade up two spots to or three spots to make sure they get their guy. All right, well, let's do our last one here from Dennis Dose, longtime listener on Twitter, uh, checking in with a mock draft that he did on PFF. So I'm going to read the names, and I've just got a couple questions for you guys off of that. Devontae Smith and a trade-up for Asante Samuel Jr. in round one. Uh, on day two, you've got Ole Miss receiver Elijah Moore, Georgia corner Eric Stokes, Kentucky linebacker Jameen Davis, and then on day three, Oso Digizua, Kendrick Green, Justin Hilliard, and then SMU tight end Kylan Granton. Pretty strong mock draft, but I want to turn it to you guys, uh, to Greg and Dane, for a couple of questions. Greg, first off and this i think is, is interesting if a team could be the eagles could be anybody where if any team were to select both Devonte smith and elijah moore how would they complement each other in the same offense well what do you think that that would look like schematically oh they tell each other good job when they made a good play <laughs> that would be very complimentary yes yeah, that, that would be really complimentary wouldn't it <laughs> do you feel like they would be oh. rep- is that repetitive at all in terms of skill set how do you think that that, that would look from a you know the, the, well, how the offense I think functions? more more at his core is a slot but he's yep. also a guy you can move around i believe um you know in, in, in the Tyree kill mold, I'm not saying he's Tyree kill in terms of his pure traits, but you could do that. But at his core, he's a slot, which is what he essentially played at Ole Miss. Um, to me, Devonta Smith, he's a Z, he's a movement Z, because you got to get Devonta Smith off the ball. You've got to get him moving. You've got to get him into his stride because he's a linear strider. Um, to me, you do not, he's not an X. Um, can he line up there once in a while? Sure. But to me, he's not an X. Um, so sure they can play together. Uh, you know, I think the Eagles probably see Fran, you would know better than I, I think they probably see Rager as an X, do they not? I think that he's shown that ability to be able to win from a couple of different spots, yeah. whether it's from the slot, if you want to move him around a Z uh, or winning off press coverage as the X, I think he's got that ability uh, to be able to do all three. And that's one of the things they liked about him a year ago. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the way teams now use their receivers with multiple formation looks, uh, line them up in different spots. Yeah. I mean, do teams start with the idea that, Hey, one guy's an X, one guy's a Z. Sure. I'm sure they do because you've got to teach it. But for the most part, I think it's not, it's not a case like the old days where, you know, one guy's an X, one guy's a Z. That's all it is. This is where they line up. Yep. But, but speaking of Elijah Moore, he's one of my favorites. I don't know what you yeah. think. Dan. He was, he was one of my favorite guys to watch. I actually like him more than Kadarius Tony. Hmm. Yeah, he's such an easy player to like. He, yeah. He's he's that flexible chess piece where, yep. uh, you know, line him up in the backfield, line him up uh, in, in the slide. And he's, you know, they, they force fed him the football. 
but hey, he responded in a yeah. big way uh, after the catch, before the catch. Uh, yeah, just uh, easy, easy player to like. And it'll Physical be interesting. Yeah, he play, is. He is. Played through contact very well. Well, uh, yeah. and let me ask you this. I mean, sorry, I, I, I know you're trying to wrap this up, Fran, but uh, no, uh, what would you say? How, how big of a gap would you say there is between Jalen Waddle and, and Elijah Moore? A decent sized gap because okay. Waddle to me, I have never seen a guy that I can remember. And, you know, you've been doing this a while. I've been doing this a while who can play at such a high rate of velocity and speed with such controlled movements and efficient movements. He's just a rare guy. I mean, Moore is, is very explosive. I thought he was phenomenal running double move routes. He ran a bunch of sluggos where he just made people look silly. Um, But I think Waddle's better, but I, but, I mean, I wouldn't say Waddle's a 10 and Moore's a four, you know, but I just think Waddle has just special explosive traits that are off the charts. Yeah, no, and, and I would agree. I think if, you know, if you want to get Waddle, but you don't, you can't get him, Elijah Moore's kind of, you know, that that plan B. Uh, I would agree. I, I guess, yeah. I right. would agree. Stylistically similar in ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in this mock draft, Dane, uh, Jameen Davis goes off the board late in the second round. Do you feel that he escapes the top 40? I mean, we've heard about some round one buzz uh, with him. Do you feel like he could fall that far? I'd be very surprised if he gets yeah. out of the top 40 picks. I, and he might not even go in the first round, but I think, you know, just where like where Darius Leonard went uh, in that early second round, I just I, I don't think he's going to get past some of those teams uh, picking there. So if, you know, uh, we're going to it'll be it's always interesting after round one, you go. Uh, you know, you kind of restack the board, say, oh, oh wow, he's still left. Oh, he, he's still here. And it's always interesting who's that first player off the board in round two. Uh, but if Jamin Davis is still there in round two, he's not going to have to wait long to hear his name called. This uh, I should have understood, uh, you know, should have guessed that this was going to go a little bit longer than what I uh, <laughs> intended early. But uh, you guys were awesome. Really appreciate the insight uh, from Dane Brugler, Greg Cosell. Dane, you've been on with us every single week going back to the summer. Greg, almost every single week since the uh, the end of the Super Bowl. So uh, really appreciate all the analysis you guys have given us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast throughout this pre-draft process. Uh, Dane, we will talk to you Thursday night. Greg, we will talk to you next week. Thanks once again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Well, just awesome stuff there, uh, as I said, from Dane and Greg. So uh, I said it earlier at the top of the show, but what you can expect now over the next week or so here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Basically what we're going to have on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, which means you'll get it on your phones Friday morning, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, is you're going to get analysis from Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, and myself on the Eagles selections from the previous day. So we will cover each day individually. And then early next week, we will catch up again to just kind of look at the class as a whole. So, and then we'll start our recaps from around the NFL, as well as our journey episodes, which are some of my favorites uh, to do every single year. Make sure you tune into that uh, next week, right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I cannot wait. The draft is almost here. We'll talk to you on Friday morning. Compassionate and trusted care, clinical expertise. It's the cornerstone of NovaCare Rehabilitation and why they're the leading provider of physical therapy throughout the Delaware Valley. Don't let aches and pains or any injury slow you down. Schedule an appointment today at NovaCare.com. The Philadelphia Eagles choose NovaCare. So can you. NovaCare, the power of physical therapy.